On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I had a chance to chat with Sean McGinnis from Kuru Footwear. Oh man, we talked all about uh, the birth of Kuru Footwear, how they actually solve a problem, how they get really, really close to their customers to find out where and when people are actually using their footwear and the kind of problems that they're actually solving, not the ones that they actually intended to. Really great conversation, guys. You are not going to want to miss this one. If you are a mid-seven-figure brand and above, listen up. Are you struggling with ads this year? Uh, How about growth in general? What about profitability? Supply chain issues got you down? You are not alone. As a brand owner myself, I totally get this. iOS 14 has ravaged many smaller brands. The good news? Our clients at Upgrowth and the brands that we own have not been touched. Don't get me wrong. We had to fight to figure out how to advertise effectively in a post-surveillance ad world, but we learned some incredible lessons along the way, and we want to share some of those lessons with you. So go to www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow to apply for a free growth plan today so we can show you what is working in a post-iOS 14.5 world. Again, that is www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow. Now... On to today's episode. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Today I'm joined by Sean McGinnis from Kuru Footwear. Sean, welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Thanks, Jordan. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to, to getting into this, talking to a, a shoe. I was going to say another shoe guy. I am not a shoe guy, but uh, one of my best friends is a shoe guy. Uh, he likes to be known as a shoe pup, uh, not a shoe dog. So I, I don't know what, what title do you go by Sean? Uh, I'm the president and integrator here at Kuru Footwear. And I also, I guess I, I wouldn't think of myself as a shoe dog, but, uh, you know, there's some other folks, uh, that are in the circle on Twitter and others that are like heavy into sneakers, you know, like the sneakerhead community is yeah. so awesome. I am not that, you know, I'm into other things instead. So. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great. Well, Sean, for people who don't know anything about you or anything about uh, Kuru Footwear, tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you guys do. Yeah, sure. So Kuru is a direct-to-consumer shoe brand. Uh, we exist to help fight foot pain for our customers, primarily plantar fasciitis, but other things and pains around the heel and the arch uh, support and ankle support. Um, we've been in business since 2008, so we have a 15-year track record of growth. Yeah. Um, we're based here in Salt Lake City, and right now we're direct-to-consumer only. So you can primarily only buy us through our website. Um, we have a small showroom in front of our corporate headquarters, but it's not a big retail environment. It's kind of it's there for the walk-in traffic and people who want to make a pilgrimage to kind of check out the brand. Totally, totally. Let's let's uh, let's get real here. Shoes D to C without any wholesale presence that must be difficult. Right, especially with returns and 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 all of that. Walk me through the thinking with you guys not going into wholesale. And this is not a judgment. This is more just a fun question. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll steal man my my our CEO and founder's argument. So I think in his mind, it uh, we've often said that we want to get as close to the customer as possible, and yeah. um, by doing that, it helps us build better product and better understand their needs and wants and desires. And so we operate the business primarily on the product development side as well as the marketing side using the jobs to be done framework that Clayton Christensen um, uh, invented back in the day. So we want to look at our customers and say, what are you hiring this specific pair of Kurus to do? Mm. Um, and what were the competing alternatives you could have hired instead? And so yeah. it's not, sometimes it's another shoe brand. Sometimes it's an insert. Sometimes it's a visit to the 
to the to the foot doctor or surgery or needles or drugs or any number of things. And so um, when, the more we talk with our customers and the more familiar we become with the things that they're trying to achieve with their lives, the better we can help them. And so direct-to-consumer really facilitates the closeness of that relationship. Um, we've been at various stages of our of our development and growth, better or worse at that piece of it. Yeah. Um, but we really do believe that direct-to-consumer is the best pathway for getting close to the customer. Um, I, I'm not super familiar with the jobs to be done framework. Can you walk me through that a little bit? And for anyone else who who doesn't know that, I know I've I've, I've heard people sort of mentioning it before, but I'd love to 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 dive into that a little bit. Yeah, it's primarily a product development framework. So if you think about a product that you've got that's existing and you're trying to better understand how you can improve it, right? It yeah. really starts with the customer first and really, really digging in and asking them you know, exactly how are you using this product? What did you, what did you used to do instead of it? Um, mm. What does it mean to you to use it? Um, in what ways are you using it? And really it's a very, it's typically done much more on kind of a qualitative basis than a quantitative basis. You can ask those questions in a survey. You're not going to get the same interaction that you're going to get from you and I talking about, Hey, this specific pair of shoes, what did you use it to do? Right? So just a couple of quick examples um, in early 2020, we released a women's slip-on um, style called the Stride. Lightweight, mesh, you know, really cute kind of pair of shoes. Yeah. Uh, 10 or 15% of our customers were wearing it as a house shoe, as a replacement to a pair of slippers. Hmm. We didn't invent it for that purpose. Knowing that might help us take the product development in a slightly different direction or, you know, choose different marketing. colorways or any number of things, right? And so yeah. uh, that's just one such example. The other really good example that um, Brett has used in the past is we, we made a hiking shoe and one colorway was a black, um, uh, like a suede color. And people were wearing it to church because it was the closest thing to a formal shoe because it was all black. So that that opened mm. our eyes to a potentially different use case and the need to really understand that and say, OK, how do we build something that's maybe not a full on dress shoe that's still slightly more formal? It can be used in a different off label usage than hiking, you know, or yeah. uh, you know, trail walking or whatever it is. You know, so I think just those types of conversations really open up the dialogue around it. It opened up, it opens up different product development pathways, but it also helps us better iterate on the existing product line as well. Oh, absolutely. I love it from a, from a marketer's perspective as well, thinking about all these different places that somebody could potentially use your product, right? Or, yeah. or different use cases that you just didn't think about, right? You're like, well, we designed it for this, but like, we love yeah. that you're using it for this. I love that whole that whole kind of visualization of off-label usage, right? Doctors prescribe things that were never intended for their intended use, right? That's I mean, right. A whole Wellbutrin and the and the anti-smoking uh, opportunity there. It wasn't built for that. That's not why it was invented. It turns out that it might suppress. I'm, I'm, I may be using the wrong drug there, but there's lots and lots of drugs like that where doctors go, "Oh, this isn't what it was invented for, but it has this by byproduct." Let's go ahead and use it off-label and for that purpose. And your customers do that every single day, and you'll never know unless you ask them. Totally. I imagine um, that the Aerobi company probably didn't mean to make Aeropress, right? Like when, when, like, I remember finding out that Aeropress and Aerobi were the same company. I'm like, what? What? Yeah. How, how did that happen? Because they're not a coffee company, right? They started right. with Aerobi, and that's like everyone knows that from the 80s and 90s. I remember my dad having an Aerobi and us chucking it around and then being like, wow, the best cof coffee implement in the world 
is this. I mean, at least at the time, right? Um, yeah. So that that's funny. There must have been, and that's a little bit more on the sort of R and D side, rather than you know people weren't using an Arobi as a as a coffee implement. But but it's yeah. funny how these things can can come up. Sean, I want to talk about supply chain. What has that been like over the last couple oh of years? I I know people in shoes, especially, are pulling their hair out um, with with what's going on. How has that been for you guys? Yeah, so uh, it, it's funny that you asked that specific question. Uh, the supply chain's been a nightmare. Um, it's been a nightmare in a number of different ways. And yet, um, yeah, I think it's very logical that we are where we are here today, not just us, but everyone. I mean, we're not alone. I, you know, we talk, I kind of socialize internally a lot that we're not the only ones that made the choices that we did. It was very logical for us to make the choices that we did. Yeah. So I want to take you back to early uh, March 2020, just as the pandemic was starting. Right. Uh, I think the, the, the a couple of days before the Utah Jazz game was canceled, which to me marks the like the beginning of the pandemic. That's right. That's, That's right. They were the everyone first, was like, wasn't that the Holy first one? Cow, this is serious. Right. Yeah. And so I pulled a meeting with everyone as, as uh, and of our internal leadership. And the thinking there was we did kind of a bit of a scenario plan. And my hypothetical question was, what if we can't get anything out of our partner uh, factories in Asia? What if the entire like our supply chain just shuts down? What will we do? Yeah. Um, and so we, we ran that scenario plan. And it turns out what happened when the pandemic really kicked in was everything we know, looking in hindsight, makes a ton of sense, right? People stopped spending on uh, experiences. They stopped going to brick and mortar. They started spending more on things and they started spending that money in the internet. So demand internet-wide, totally. crazy. So yeah. we felt and that. And so this is so a like, scenario that you guys you guys did a little war we game tried, on. But it, when, when, yeah. it's lead, when your lead time is six to nine months to get more product or, you know, six plus months, Absolutely. it, went from, third, it yeah. went from 90 days or, you know, 65, 70 days, I think was our lead time originally. So well in excess of 100 days when this happened, it didn't just happen to us. It happened to every Internet retailer, right? Demand spiked and supply chains were like, oh, it's going to be a little longer. Yeah. And so that initial summer, we were actually under inventory because we didn't forecast the demand spike. The demand spike hits. Of course. Our, our, you know, our July and August, on June, July, August, we're under inventoried. What's the reaction yeah. to that? We're going to order a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone did that at the same time, which is exactly yeah. what drove, it started to drive the costs up. So costs got higher. Yeah. Lead times got longer. And then the federal government came, swooped in in early 2020 and said, hey, this is a real problem. Here's lots of money to go spend to try and make sure that the economy gets back on track, which basically made the problem worse. Well, that worked. Right? That worked so, pretty well. Hey, world. <laughs> March, April, like, whoa, demand is crazy, right? And so now you've just gotten it, it. What happened almost is like this. It's the swing of up and, ups and downs just got bigger. Like June, July, yeah. 2021, yeah. Just, the demand got bigger in early and then got worse in, uh, again, June, July, same time frame. Yeah. So what's the world do? They go order more. Like, <laughs> we don't know when this is going to stop happening. Totally. So we're going to order totally. more. So, you know, I hate to, uh, you know, pretend like we're in the same league as these folks, but Career Footwear, Nike, Walmart, Target, every major retailer, right now we're all over inventory. Because what yeah. happened yeah. come, you know, April. Every one of our March, companies April this is year, the same, same went thing, back Sean. to normal. Yeah. Yeah. Everything went back to normal. So now we're sitting at this place where we're like, we're far less efficient than we would like to be with our inventory planning. But the good news again about direct to consumer is I'm not, so I'm not held to the standards of the Dick Sporting Goods buyer. I yes. Don't, we don't care. We have sellable inventory. We have high quality, great stuff that doesn't really turn from a seasonality perspective. Yeah. If it takes us two years to sell that, that's fine. Totally. Not a big deal. Totally. And so yeah, that's you're an advantage have of, that, of that model too, right? 
Oh, absolutely. That That is the beautiful thing about having a strong, strong direct-to-consumer brand is that even if you do dabble in wholesale as well, but if your direct-to-consumer is, is that good, you don't have the same kind of issues that other people have, right? Right. Um, and yeah, I, I absolutely uh, love that. What happened cost-wise for you guys uh, over the last couple of years? Yeah, costs uh, on the supply chain side, costs spiked like everybody. They're in the process of coming back down. I mean, spot rates right now on containers are below pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, um, I, know. I, could, I couldn't believe so my So 60 my days from now when we're actually paying for things that we're ordering now, it's going to get a lot cheaper for us. You know, So we're trying to actually forecast we're putting the plan together already for 2023 and actually when working with the finance team right now to make sure that we reduce our co- our cogs to, yeah. to like assume that, you know, we're, we, we use a, bl- a blended cogs methodology. And so as the current inventory starts to cycle through the system, the new inventory will come online and we've got to make sure that we're we're forecasting accurately for what our true cogs will be next year based yeah. on best available data. Right, It's going to be wrong, but let's at least bake that number in in a way that we have a good feeling for roughly where it's going to wind up for the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, this is a fun conversation. I'm loving this. I got, I got more to come at you with here. So direct to consumer only brand, I'm assuming you are spending probably 90% of your budget kind of on the acquisition channels, scooping some stuff up, uh, you know, on Google Bing, whatever after that, is that, is that correct? Yeah, we spend a good deal of money um, at the bo- what I'll call the bottom of the funnel. You know, because we solve a real job to be done for our customers, that aligns really tightly with really strong keyword demand. Your mm. customers are searching for solutions all the time for their for their foot pain. And what's so, a, what's an example? Um, what, what's an example like long tail keyword that somebody would be searching? Uh, comfortable shoes for walking. Um, okay, that's a mid that's a wow, mid tail so keyword, like, right? But yeah. comfortable shoes for nurses. Um, you know, uh, nursing shoes for, for uh, plantar fasciitis. There's all kind of, kind of, you know, the, we think of it in three different acquisition methodologies. We think of the specific foot pain that customers have that our product helps solve. We think of the specific use case that they want the shoes for. And we think of specific careers that by virtue of the fact that you're on your feet more often than you or I may be, that, yeah. that leads to foot fatigue or foot pain more often, right? So think about, uh, delivery drivers and warehouse workers and retail workers and food service workers, you know, waiters and waitresses and chefs, um, healthcare that I already mentioned. If you're on your feet all day on a concrete surface, the odds of you coming home at the end of the day with your dogs barking are much higher than mine. I'm sitting in my fat, you know, fat man's chair and behind my desk all day. Like that's a different world that yeah. I live in. And so that doesn't mean that I can't also have foot pain. And, and sometimes folks that like me do, it's it's genetic. It's lots of different reasons. It's weight, it's health overall, it's how, how well we're exercising and things of that nature. So many things factor into this. But um, we think of each one, each, every combination of the three things I just mentioned can yield lots of different really long tail keyword volume that is totally. at various l- levels of profitability or demand, you know, overall demand for our business. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I love that. Of course, I mean, that, that just makes sense. You could be going after bottom of the funnel the entire time. So do you guys spend anything on acquisition or is this all just bottom funnel? Yeah. So I think of it in terms of demand capture versus demand gen. We're definitely, we're really, really good at demand capture. So we spend a lot of time optimizing that bottom of the funnel and we're moving up the funnel as we speak. So we're working with a branding agency to really fine tune our brand and who we're talking to and what the messaging should be. We're working with better agencies than ever, trying to move up the funnel in paid social and other kind of, you know, demand gen oriented awareness building campaigns, you know, um, 
my goal long-term five years from now is I want every American with foot pain to think of Dr. Scholl's and Kuru footwear. Mm. Like those should be the brands that come to mind when you think, oh, you've got this thing that's uh, your feet hurt. Have you heard of this company called Kuru? They actually make these shoes that help with that, right? So mm. that's that's a long-term investment and lots of different channels rather than just spending at the bottom of the funnel for shoes for plantar fasciitis or comfortable shoes for walking or comfortable shoes for nurses, right? And that's it's a different and, and strategy building- entirely. Totally. And building that into people's heads is a lot different than, hey, buy my shoes, get 20% yeah. off, right? Yeah. It's not, yeah. this is not direct response necessarily. This is baking a brand and the the thing that your brand solves into somebody's, into the ethos essentially. Yeah. It's really interesting. You mentioned the 20% off piece too, because we're not a heavy discounting brand. So we are a premium price product um, that we think we feel like we're solving a real job for our customers and they're willing to pay you know, a, a healthy premium for solving that problem in a way that's yeah. stylish, right? If I were to think about the category that I believe we live in, it's stylish shoes for foot pain. If you think about that as a Venn diagram, most um, stylish shoes create foot pain and most foot pain shoes are not stylish. So we're in that kind of weird sliver where those two circles overlap a little bit. Um, and we're trying to get better at the stylish part and the product is evolving over time and it's gotten better and better and better over the next three years. And we've hired some incredible talent that's really going to elevate the product line over the next three mm. years. So that's super exciting. Um, but yeah, it's still very much a casual. I mean, we're mostly sneakers, a little bit of sandals, some boots, some hiking. And, yeah. know, it's not a full service. We're not a New Balance or, um, you know, we're not a whole run of the closet type of type of company. We're going to focus on the things that are kind of athleisure. Um, we're moving into performance slowly, but surely like building, you know, real world running shoes is on the roadmap, things like that. Mm. Um, but primarily it's just, you know, I, I need something to go walk the dog every day, or I want to push the stroller, or I want to take a light, you know, a, a walk around a couple blocks in the city or, or yeah. some you know, mountains here in Salt Lake city. I'm going to do a little bit of light duty hiking. Um, and I just have foot pain and it's a daily thing for me. And I need yeah. lots of different styles to get through my day. And those are the things we're building. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, Sean, I got to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. What is your secret to scaling? Boy, our secret to scaling is really staying close to the customer. You know, the closer we get, the the better we understand their journey and their desired outcome and the better we can build incredible product for them. Awesome. Awesome. That's yeah. great. And and w- what a secret that is for a lot of people, right? When, when everyone's looking at data, right? Uh, you know, we love, you know, some of the sponsors on this podcast are, you know, some third-party attribution software, Triple Whale. Sure. Awesome guys, absolutely love them, but it doesn't tell you why, right? It doesn't tell you what your customers actually want. Even even post-purchase survey data doesn't necessarily get you exactly what Sean is talking about here, right? Being close to your customers and actually understanding what they want, um, it, there's an art to it. And, and it sounds like you guys understand that. Well, we're getting better. Um, we, we're, we've been heavy on the data-driven side as well up until now, the last three years as we've really grown um, the business. It's been very much a bottom of funnel and a data-driven activity. But aspirationally, we want to understand those customers much better and really build a brand that we can be proud of and that they would be proud to support. And that really gets them, like really mm-hmm. understands their, you know, our, our CEO oftentimes says, the ideal scenario from our perspective is as a brand, we want to we want to find those customers exactly when they need us most, kind of slide up alongside them, introduce them to the brand, move away and know exactly when they want us to come back. Mm. Right? So like in a perfect world, understanding that a, a customer that intimately and every customer that intimately 
it's aspirational. Every brand wants it, right? Totally. Um, we're trying to make a lot of investments and smartly to make sure that we do understand them so that we can better both our performance and, and just and better the company so that they look at us as a, a solution for their problem. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sean, I got three more questions for you. I hope that you are ready. Yeah, shoot. All right. First question, favorite tool or app that you're using right now? Uh, right now, because we just launched uh, the entire rebuild onto Shopify Plus, it's Shopify Plus. So compared to our world in Magento, it's yeah. just Shopify Plus in general. Ask me a year from now, I'll probably have something better, a better answer that's more app driven. But like move, that migration, having it behind us was so important. And now we've got the new foundation we can build on from there. So super exciting. Awesome. Again, guys, you know, I'm a huge Shopify Plus fan too. Um, there's just stuff that you can do there that you, the, the, the ease, right? Somebody who understands the other legacy platforms. I mean, I'm calling them legacy. I know that they, they still think that they're in, in the game, but no one's, no one's beating Shopify, unfortunately. <laughs> and that's as a, uh, a shareholder of a lot of, a lot of shares that have dollar cost averaged a little too high. So, <laughs> um, uh, second question for you, Sean, uh, favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now? Oh my gosh. Favorite podcast. Uh, I would have to say the all in podcast. Love those guys. Every Friday it drops tons of fun. Listen to four billionaires talk about politics, economics, business. Um, that's a real treat. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. I have only heard good things about that podcast as well. Yeah. So it's fun. that's, yeah, that's, that's great. And guys, remember we put all, everything that Sean and I are talking about is in the show notes. We try and put every link that we've talked about, uh, anything goes in there. So please make sure to check out uh, the show notes after this. Sean, I got one last question for you. And it's a new one that I'm asking uh, that somebody asked me when I was on a podcast just the other day. And I'm loving this question. Um, you have a year to live. What changes? Uh, probably a lot more golf. And I already golf quite a bit. So I would probably golf every single morning. I would just make it part of the routine uh, to get it in. I really enjoy it. It's, it's a calming thing for me. And um, that... Spending even more time with the family, probably. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Uh, Sean, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, understand that your day is probably insanely busy. And uh, yeah, I just really appreciate this. Where can people connect with you and then also find out more about Kuru Footwear? Yeah, sure. So you can find us at kurufootwear.com. That's K-U-R-U. Uh, any misspelling, you usually uh, will we'll find us in Google. Um, and I am primarily on Twitter these days. I didn't used to. I was early, early, early. I was super heavy and then took a break, but I've been back for the last couple of years. Um, uh, just look up Sean McGinnis. It's S-E-A-N-M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S. You'll find me in the D2C and Ecom world, hanging out and chatting with folks and um, stirring up some stuff every now and then. Uh, awesome. A little bit of controversy here and there. But yeah, that's primarily where you can find me. I'm on LinkedIn, obviously, as well, but uh, primarily on Twitter these days. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to have to spend some time over on Twitter at some point. I'm really heavy on LinkedIn, but uh, I, I got to head over there at some point. It's just re rebuilding up socials is uh, is daunting. So <laughs> yeah, painful. Well, thanks again for your time today, Sean. Yeah. Thanks, Jordan. It's great to talk. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses 
businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.